Hey y'all, welcome to Beyond Consulting, the podcast dedicated to helping listeners navigate a career after consulting. I'm Stephen Haug, host of Beyond Consulting and director at ECA Partners. Each week on the podcast, we host folks who have spent time in consulting, but have since made a pivot or a career change. Before we get started, I want to thank ECA Partners for sponsoring Beyond Consulting. ECA is an executive search and on-demand consulting firm specializing in former consultants and private equity. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Trent Johnson, Chief Strategy Officer at C, a venture studio that creates leading digital solutions. And he's a former consultant having held positions at KPMG, and Slalom, among other reputable firms. Trent, welcome to Beyond Consulting. Awesome. Stephen, great to be here. How are you? Doing well. And Trent, I want to start at the beginning. You didn't join consulting right out of college. So can you tell us about the story of how you got into consulting? Yeah, certainly. So after I finished graduate school up in Iowa, basically, you know, I suspect like many other students just started to watch the clock of how long I would sit around before I actually had to start paying off my school loans. And had gotten an interview at uh, Citibank at the time and basically went into their asset-backed securitization group and stayed there literally for about seven months after I finished helping with our first transaction, which I think was manufactured homes for about $350 million. Oddly enough, was sitting next to a gentleman on a flight, and this was right before the dot-com craziness began the upswing. And that gentleman was at a partner at KPMG, spent an entire flight across country talking to him. By the time we landed, he wanted me to meet his HR, meet his team, and the rest, as they say, is history. I ended up going to uh, join KPMG, first assignment at the international headquarters in the Netherlands. Was it the person on the plane that actually helped you get the job or was that just your first exposure to KPMG and then you went through the normal application route? No, I think had heard about management consulting in B school, right? It's either investment banking B school or you go to a corporate route. Um, so, you know, met all the recruiters at uh, school in Iowa, but I think I was living in Dallas at the time and he was just a gentleman that was kind of in the local practice. So he got me plugged in basically to HR and then we kind of matriculated the process there. Great. What kind of projects were you working on at KPMG? Yeah. So early days back in the late 90s, when I started working for KPMG, it was all about e-business, right? Stuff that we call digital today. Way back then, it was e-business and e-commerce. And, you know, so you saw the likes of Yahoo being born and early days of the internet and things like that. So we would do any kind of projects from implementing CRM solutions to implementing what would be content management solutions today, like Vignette and things like that. ERP and SAP were really big, but where I spent a fair amount of time was working with a practice in the Netherlands that was actually incubating businesses. With ABN AMRO Bank, Dutch Bank, my client at the time, they were very interested in building a startup within their four walls. And so that began this journey of mine where I got to spend time in corporate innovation, you know, building startups within their four walls, and then you know strategy consulting and building startups on the outside as well. So join KPMG, of course, one of the larger consulting firms in the world. What did you do after that? You spent about four years there. Can you tell us you know, that, that transition point out of KPMG? Yeah. I mean, interestingly enough, the work that I was doing in KPMG got exposed to a lot of startups and a lot of people. One of my assignments was at E-Trade in Silicon Valley. So I got to meet a lot of people, very similar to just the cycle that we're just leaving, where everyone was very startup crazy and, you know, have this idea on a PowerPoint deck and I want to go get it funded. So I went through that original cycle, you know, some 20 years ago at this point. 
And one of the things that caught my eye as I was thinking about what to do after consulting was working for a startup in the Gulf South and helping them to raise capital and things like that. I joined a couple of my buddies from KPMG and we actually spun off and created our own consulting firm. We primarily did diligence on early stage companies as part of a Capco program in Louisiana. So a short version, Capco is uh, you raise money and you match it with state credits as a component of a capital raise. And so they needed people that would help them to vet these companies. And so me and my colleagues were part of that group that did that kind of diligence on early stage startups, as well as systems integration stuff to keep the lights on as a young founder. How was it that you attracted clients as a brand new consulting firm without much of a track record to lean on? The interesting thing um, is what you learn when you're in kind of startup land as a consultant or a single shingle, a lot more of attracting clients is your own personal brand initially before your company attracts brand. So my other two partners were more senior partners than I, and they had a pretty decent Rolodex. So they were able to call on previous clients. But beyond that, between the three of us, we had strong enough resumes in terms of the things that we were doing that allowed us basically to, you know, get that first and second engagement. And then when you get those, those actually start to build on themselves because then you can point to them as, as your quals and your sales decks as you go forward. So it's primarily you need a couple first two anchor tenants in many cases, which we had, but then everything else built on, on our own individual brand before the company brand caught up. Was there a long-term vision for the new company? Did you plan to build it and then sell it off to a, another consulting firm? Did you want to grow it, continue leading it? Love to hear about the minds that you went into the business with. Yeah, I think the interesting thing is it was a best laid plan. So that was definitely part of the idea in the beginning was building it alongside my partners. I don't know that we ever had a view of an exit at that point. Services businesses require a very different discipline to exit than say like a tech startup does, right? Because you're actually building a product and those types of things. But for us, I think we were also struck in the early 2000s on the backside of the dot-com downturn. And so as a result, what you saw is many of the small businesses were either looking at folding up their tents, getting absorbed and things like that. I ended up selling out my shares to my partners and basically going back to another shingle. The other thing that I also saw at that time was that basically from a tech standpoint, systems integration and kind of startups were falling out of favor. So I needed to rely on something that felt a little bit more like my consulting roots and as a result, I went to work with some previous colleagues of mine from KPMG, and we uh, entered this company called ISG, which was a boutique firm that basically did sourcing and shared services advisory. So think of large management, managed services contracts or outsourcing contracts. We would basically structure those transactions and basically help those companies to source those services. Interesting. And certainly see the power of your network throughout your career so far, it sounds like Building those relationships at KPMG first helped you get into KPMG by meeting someone in the firm, and then you leverage those throughout the early part of your career. Absolutely. I think even in KPMG, the thing that you very quickly figure out, your ability to kind of you know, vertically ascend or even move around practices is all tethered to kind of the social infrastructure, right? Like, who do you know and how's that partner doing? Who's that partner's team? 
that type of thing. So that was very part and parcel to being able to, at least in the early days, navigate around firms. It would be very helpful because it helped me to, you know, as I start to grow out of consulting, start to look at how do you build teams and basically create and stand up those teams in other firms in order to create new disciplines. So in the case of ISG, one of the things that we were tasked with doing was building an entirely new practice that didn't exist. So in this case, we were focused on financial services companies, but a lot more of the skill set there was about margin enhancement, right? So instead of growing revenues, how are you thinking about cost takeout? How are you thinking about customer efficiencies? So you spent a lot more of your time in those transactions, more on the cost and efficiency side of the equation, margin enhancement of deals. And you spent a lot more time in the discipline of learning to read legal contracts and performance agreements and business case, You know, being able to develop really complex business cases. So far, what we've talked about in your career, you were at KPMG, very large consulting firm. You were at Sage Consulting, startup one, just a few folks in there. You were on the ground floor of that organization. And then you were at ISG, right? A boutique consulting firm, three very different types of organizations. Can you talk a little bit about the differences there? And if somebody is a consultant right now, and maybe they're at a large firm thinking about going to a smaller firm, or maybe they're at a smaller firm thinking about going to a large firm, I think it'd be helpful for them to understand what they should be considering when they're making that decision. Yeah. One of my old mentors used to uh, famously describe a career in consulting as a bit of an hourglass, right? So if you go from bottom to top of the hourglass, his view was in the earliest stages of your career, you need to be as broad as possible, right? You need to understand as much about the landscape as what's out there so that you can kind of figure out what you're good at and what you want to do. Middle part of the hourglass, right? So you can kind of focus and build your discipline. And then when you start to move into senior manager, partner, you broaden again because now you're shifting away from delivery into more sales, right? So if I think about kind of the large, medium, small of those experiences that we talked about, the biggest thing that jumps out, I think, is brand is important earlier in your career, I think, to be able to establish who you are and the caliber of clients that you've had. Also, when you have a larger brand, I think as a young consultant, you definitely get more reps. You get access to more branded clients and you get to see a lot more problem and problem statements than you would, I would say, if you were at a smaller shop where you have a handful of logos that are your clients that you're kind of you know, mining the shop with, right? So you get a lot more breadth and you get greater brand recognition at larger shops. I think the smaller shop allows you to wear many, many hats, right? So I think when I was at a smaller shop, you know, not only was I doing delivery, but I was doing kind of sales and I was also doing operations. I was doing billing and invoicing. I was doing recruiting, right? So all of the things to run the business of a consulting shop, you learn. And I think the thing that you find is in the bigger brand, you get some of those things, but you get a lot more of the operational business of consulting things, the further up, definitely after manager, senior manager, partner, and so on. You start to do more of the operational things there. I think you get an earlier look at those things at a smaller shop. Perfect. That's very helpful advice there. And we're fast forwarding a little bit. Of course, you've held positions as your board member, you're an executive in residence. But I want to hear more about your current organization, C. You've been there for over four years, your chief strategy officer now. Can you tell us a bit about the business and about your position? Yeah. So C is a venture studio. So really fancy way, I guess, of saying that we build businesses. In particular, we build 
digital businesses, right? So technology-based businesses. And so what we find is in C, most of the principals are very well-decorated serial entrepreneurs. So they've had more than X number of exits in terms of uh, digital businesses that they've built and, and sold. And so what the team has done is over the years of building dozens of startups, they've basically created a framework of this is what we do in the beginning in order to detect an opportunity. This is how we test that opportunity. This is how we establish, grow, scale, exit the opportunity, right? So they, like everyone, like every good consultancy, I suspect they have a playbook of how they do that. In our world, we get to apply that playbook basically to two different sides of the house, right? One side of the house is basically founders, right? Or founders of VCs or our own startups that we would create natively in-house. And then the other side of the house is going to be just our corporate ventures practice where we're working with enterprise and basically helping them to create either digital startups or businesses within their four walls or just outside of their four walls that they can kind of grow and kind of determine what they do with. Does it become a tuck-in acquisition? Do they leave it as a going concern? My role initially was standing up the corporate ventures side of the house. And now my role as chief strategy officer is basically all things strategy and ops for not only the corporate portfolio, but for the founder and startup portfolio as well. Most of the founders inside of your business, or actually, let me back up there. Who are you serving, right? Are, are these folks coming out of college, joining your group? They have an idea and then you coach them on how to build a business or is it a bit different than that? No, I think one of the things that you find out pretty quickly when you're on the anything even venture adjacent or startup adjacent is that the secret sauce is basically what we call the operator, right? So somebody that basically knows how to run startups. Those folks, if they have created a startup and have done it well, they're really, really adept at, at least in our world, not wasting money, right? Because we're beholden to investors and, and things like that. So if you think about the difference in the construct and kind of like this is the schizophrenia, I guess, of, of my role, because I have to pivot between one worldview with corporates and another worldview with startups. But startups, if you think about it, we live in this construct of our investors will give us a bit of money in order to go out and prove a thing, right? So a thing might be, hey, I have this hypothesis that this is a great idea. I think customers will like it. Awesome. Here's some money. You know, get me to some notion of what engagement looks like, you know, like so many customers on your platform, so many people willing to pay that type of thing. Very different on the other side of the world when we're looking at corporates because corporates have a very different view of certainty that startup folk do not, right? Certainty is something on the startup side that you never get to, that you're constantly just solving the next problem, solving the next problem, in effect, trying to de-risk on the way to certainty. Corporates tend to seek certainty a lot earlier, and it's very different in terms of how you manage those two sets of customers, for lack of a better term. Do you interact with a, a lot of former management consultants in your current role? I do in certain specialist senses. So on the corporate side, I've worked alongside brothers and sisters from the likes of the McKinsey's and the Baines and the BCG. You know, they will do anything from, you know, working with strategy companies and figuring out voice of uh, customer all the way up to implementation and integration, things like change management and those types of things. We tend to occupy that bit right in the middle, which is... Help me understand what your best hypothesis is. 
I will bring uh, seasoned serial entrepreneurs for us to see if there's a commercialized business that we can very quickly discover in a very small window, right? And then once we stand it up, we're happy to give it to our consulting brothers and sisters to go scale it, grow it, adopt it into the organization, all that type of thing. But it's the what we call the zero to one that's kind of where we live. It's how do you take a blank sheet of paper, in effect, and make it a going concern, you know, hopefully Series A company that you've now hired into, you've proven that the model works, and you basically have created a product that customers are willing to pay for. Who is your end customer for these businesses? My understanding is we'll grow these businesses and then exit them is the goal. Who's the buyer? It depends on the size of the exit. The buyer could be basically another VC. The buyer, if it's big enough, the buyer could be a small private equity or a mid-market private equity, small to mid-market private equity that's doing a roll-up. So it just depends on what the entity is that you create. Sometimes the buyer is the corporate themselves who basically just tucks it in and it doesn't go anywhere. They're just building a new capability, like a new digital capability within their four walls. Are there any companies that you're incubating right now that you're particularly excited about and that you could chat about with us at all? Huh. There's one that I'm really excited about. I am going to tiptoe around what I can talk about. It is a GovTech company that's doing some pretty amazing things, training law enforcement and first responders. Pretty much all I can say. I mean, so the other thing that we don't really... Um, that you'll find of startup folk that are seasoned, they, they tend to, when they're onto something, kind of live in stealth for as long as they can. <laughs> so no one comes along and eats their lunch, that type of thing. But yeah, there's a few of those. There's some other projects that we're doing in health tech that are actually pretty powerful and also some others in edutech that are pretty cool as well. We tend to, at least intentionally by our founders, try to do things that have a bit of a double bottom line, right? Like how does it kind of help the world? And then double bottom line, how does it make money? How can we exit it, do what people get into startups for? I appreciate the glimpse into some of the projects you're working on. I'm sure you're tiptoeing around several NDAs there. No doubt. Do you have any advice for current consultants that are thinking about their next venture? Yeah. I mean, interestingly enough, I had a fair amount of uh, navel gazing when I was trying to figure out what I would do after I left Slalom, which was my last consulting gig. And it was the biggest thing that I've always heard is what are you optimizing for? Right. And I think once you understand what you're optimizing for, it'll help you figure out what you should be doing. Right. So in my case, you know, some of the best advice I got is, you know, you have a choice where you have to you might be able to get one and a half of these. Right. But you optimize between three points. Right. So the first point is comp in cash. Right. Like the money side of the equation. The second is intellectual capital, how interesting the work is. And then the third is quality of life. Right. So like how crazy will this this work you know, drive me and will I still have a life? And so I think once you understand which of those you're actually willing to give up, right, because all people try to optimize for all three. But the truth is, you're going to give up one or the other. If I want to go to a really you know, make a ton of money working at the you know branded consultancy, I am going to give up some quality of life. If I specialize, I may give up some interestingness of work because over time it becomes very you know routine to me to do the same thing. So I think that's the first thing that I would say. The second thing that I would say that I've seen is understand what's important to you at the point of life that you're at, right? Who I was as a 20-something-year-old young consultant, wide open, go see the world, you know, didn't mind doing that stuff. 
but you know as you start to pair up like you know <laughs> inevitably we do as you start to have kids and stuff like that what i found is that was directly correlated to my decisions that i made as a consultant so wide open when i was a young single consultant when i started to pair up i wanted to be closer to home definitely when i became a father i was like nope <laughs> got to be here for this you know and things like that and you know i suspect as i look to some of my older peers you know, after your kids start to leave the house, it's like you're wide open again. I don't know that to be true, but that's what I hear. But I think those would be like the two things that I would say is like, you know, where are you on the life cycle? And then what are you optimizing for? I appreciate that, Trent. I think that that's excellent advice for consultants and probably for folks in, in general as they plan their careers. Thanks so much for joining us here. I really enjoyed our conversation, Trent. Awesome. Stephen, really enjoyed it as well. And hope you have a great day as you go about making the world safer for recruits everywhere. <laughs> Thanks, Trent. Have a good one. You as well. Mm -hmm.